Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a, a new start for the old man. Even though we're uh, two years old, it feels like a new beginning. Nervous? Not nervous at all. In Manchester with Gary Neville, what could go wrong? We've got a home, haven't we? The overlap has got a home. Hello and welcome to the Overlap Live Fan Debate brought to you by Sky. But as you can see, New Year and a brand spanking new studio. But one thing that stayed the same is our esteemed football experts. Please welcome Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. How are we both? Good. Very, very good. good. Very good. Talk to me about this new studio. Has it spent all the budget on this and got rid of Roy Keane? <laughs> <laughs> Do you like it? I love it. I love it. It's, it's nice. I can see everybody. There's, there's a few more people in there than we would normally have, right? Yeah, we were moving around a little bit too much. We needed a home and... Uh, do you all like it or not? Lovely. Yeah, it's nice. nice. Good? Yeah. So hopefully it'll give us a great atmosphere. <laughs> How did it come about? Um, it came about because I met the owner of the Hook Group pre-Christmas and he said... I've and got he offered to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I've got some studios. And I thought, oh, OK, I'll, have a, I'll go and have a look. And then walked around and thought, wow, these aren't just any old studios. And then he said, you know, what about uh, build... Uh, well, we said at the time, could we use them for the overlap? And they said that his team would help build them and they put this together in about five six weeks which is wow. unbelievable built it from scratch um so yeah it's uh good and we were moving around weren't we obviously you all have been with us haven't you for a long time so just to have somewhere we can come and feel like home's good we've got to talk about football this is yeah. the overlap on what better place to start with the news that came out of manchester less than a week ago now the premier league charging manchester city with over a hundred counts of breaching their financial rules mm. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna, allegedly, I'm, I'm not going to throw you in hot water right now. I'm going to actually throw it to Matt Slater from uh, The Athletic. So can you give us a bit more you know, colour around the story? And, and was it a surprise? Well, it was a big surprise when it, when it landed, <coughs> yeah, because we were all, we, we'd almost sort of forgotten that this, this investigation was rumbling on. But yeah, you're right. It's 115 breaches that span about 14 years, goes all the way back to 2009. I suppose the, the beginning of this story is, of course, those massive scoops that the Spiegel, the German uh, outlet, ran in late 2018, where they had hacked emails that apparently, allegedly, showed that Manchester City had been artificially inflating their sponsorship income and had been hiding costs. Now, this, of course, was to circumvent uh, UEFA's financial fair play rules. Now, the actual Premier League investigation is related to the UEFA one, the one, of course, that went to CAS, where... Manchester City managed to overturn their Champions League ban. It's related, but it's not quite the same. This is more about being, well, not, in, not being straight with the Premier League. It's actually about dishonesty, that you did not provide fair, accurate, honest financial accounts. That's probably the, mo the biggest chunk of the, um, of, the, of the breaches. 
And then there's a whole section at the end as well about not cooperating with this investigation. This investigation that's been running for four years. There's some technical ones in the middle to do with Mancini's contract, but really it's about not accurate reporting of financial accounts and not cooperating with a Premier League investigation. Matt, can I just ask you a question on that cooperation point? You're talking about not, not responding to Premier League inquiries, but just not even... That, that sounds incredible. Well, I describe it as trench warfare. So the Premier League, at the same time as the UEFA, announced off the back of those De Spiegel exclusives. They had to. They were so, it was so big, it was a global story, that they were going to investigate. So that was December 2018. What we've had is four years of Manchester City fighting every inch of the way. So the Premier League would ask them for documents, Manchester City would say no. The Premier League would say, okay, can we have a little arbitration about this? The Premier League would win. Manchester City would then say, your process is wrong. I don't like your commission. You're, you're on a fishing trip. The Premier League would say, okay, let's go to arbitration. The Premier League would win. This has gone on for I, years. But I don't know why City would, I mean, maybe we do know why City would fight it, but I mean, I'm, I'm a director at Salford and it's quite simple that the EFL Premier League, when they ask for your financial records, you have to provide them. You, well, just, quite, they, you, know, you do, you have to provide your records. One of Manchester City's defences is sometimes they've asked for things that simply don't exist. Right. But I think that is actually a little bit technical. I think what it really boils down to is Manchester City are absolutely adamant they've done nothing wrong. Yeah. You are looking for excuses. So no, you cannot see all our emails. You have to, you have to come to a, a specific allegation that is credible and is founded in something. You're not just going on this, as I say, this fishing trip. Okay. And they have also had, I think, some at times reasonable points to make around the fairness of the process that the Premier League have fixed in many ways along the way. That's why it's taken this long and it's why there's quite a long way to go still. Sam, you're the City correspondent for The Athletic. Mm. I want to know, should City fans be worried uh, and what could the potential ramifications of this be if they are found guilty? Yeah, well, obviously the ramifications are huge and that's what's going to excite everyone here. And I'm surrounded by it. It's a lot of smiling faces. Liverpool fans, Everton fans, Arsenal fans. Look, Robbie's rubbing his hands together. <laughs> because everything's on the table, they could get relegated. If they're found guilty, they could get relegated if they get expelled from the league. They could have titles stripped. So that's going to excite, you know, Liverpool fans, United fans, because they get titles added on at the same time as seeing City done for what the rival fans have wanted them to be done for for years anyway. So everything's on the table. Obviously, if it just boils down to them being guilty of not cooperating for the last few years, which is the same thing as what happened with UEFA, they got a £10 million fine at CAS, and nobody cares. Like, rival fans aren't happy with that. City don't mind. They were back in the Champions League. They weren't cooperating with UEFA. Pay the £10 million. If that's the outcome, say la vie. They'll be happy with that. So everything's on the table. That's why it's so interesting. Um, they'd even have to replay a few old games, uh, possibly. I mean, you two would have to be called back into action. <laughs> um, in terms of should City fans be worried, I mean, I, I can't sit here and say it'll be all right, because who knows? But the one thing I can reflect from inside the club, and this is a don't shoot the messenger kind of situation, everything they're saying publicly in terms of we welcome this, we're going to clear our name once and for all, that's not, again, you two probably seen this in football. Sometimes you put out statements publicly, but behind the scenes, everything's on fire and there's problems everywhere. At City, genuinely, they're very calm about it. They're sure they've got no problems at all. Now, look, they might have. Well, why don't they just show the Premier League all the emails? I don't know. So they can't be that calm about it, I would imagine. I was, I was going to ask you, should, is this something that within football people have known about for a while? Has this been brewing for a long time? Listen, it's, it's not a secret, is it, about sort of, you know, looking into, into Manchester City, whether it was UEFA, the Premier League thing has been going on for four years, and. When you talk about being 
it being a surprise. If I'm being totally honest, it was a su surprise the Premier League actually did it. I thought it was one of those <coughs> things that the Premier League said they were investigating, but they're almost hoping everyone would forget about it. And it just sort of, they don't really want to take on Manchester City with maybe their legal team, obviously the funds that they've got, what happened with UEFA. So the surprise for me yesterday was not that City <coughs> were getting but it were involved in this. It was more the case of that the Premier League had actually done something because I just wasn't expecting that at all. Uh, listen, obviously, they've not been done for anything on this. They were, I think on the UEFA one, we always speak about the fact that, you know, nothing happened, but they, they did get a big fine in terms, I think, was, was it 10 million? 10 million euros. 10 million yeah. at the time. And the reason they probably weren't sanctioned because it was time barred going back, you know, too far, I think it was five years. That's not going to be the case with, with the Premier League. So I think most people feel like there is something there. It's just whether it can maybe something could stick or not. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about, you know, City would be happy if they got a fine or a similar sort of punishment, but that... If it was for not cooperating, yeah, because that was the case with Cass. You know, if the thing is, if they, if they were to get found guilty, and I suppose we'll get into this, but if they were to be found guilty and it was a points deduction for whatever season they were in at the time, how many people would be happy with that? Because you'd think, well, if you have been found guilty of all of this, then what happens That'll to the trophy? Fuming what if happens you get one this season? I mean, I, I, look, I'm, I'm just pointing towards other ramifications. The financial benefit of them, say, for instance, losing 20 points as an example that season would mean that another team that was fifth would have gone into the Champions League mm -hmm. and have missed out on 30 million in revenue. So how would this that be? All, how would that be all equalised and how would that be all dealt with? They'd be sued then. Or there'd be well, there'd be loads of. That's the thing. If 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 this independent panel decided that okay they are guilty and they're going to get a point deduction, but only for that particular season, rather than going back and stripping trophies or whatever, if they are guilty, then I suppose it does open it up. You've seen this with the EFL and Derby, right? Basically every club. And, this fellow here from Everton was trying to claim a piece of the pie earlier on. Like, <laughs> trying to get a 2016 semi-final Carabao Cup. We don't want it. <laughs> don't win much. I'm having that one. And the Champions League. Place. Everyone's going to want a piece of it as well. I mean, you've seen this with, with Derby, right? Well, that was uh, probably the most recent <coughs> case in English football where it was a similar thing. You know, Derby had very probably been cheating at financial fair play, certainly in terms of how they um, accounted for their transfers. And that process dragged on and on and on. And other clubs, you know, uh, like Wickham and Middlesbrough got very upset. And it spilled over, you know, there was an appeal. These, these things take a long time. And football, historically, sport in general, has been desperate to stay out of the courts. The courts are dangerous. They're messy. You don't know where they're going to go. Probably the last time Premier League football got into the courts was around Carlos Tevos, West Ham and Sheffield United. And that was deeply embarrassing to everybody involved. But just in terms of... The potential where this could go. Another good example is Juventus, not the Juventus now, the last time they got in trouble. That was 2004, 5 and 6 and that was around match fixing. Now Juventus ended up losing a Serie A title, they didn't reallocate it, that was 2004, but they did reallocate the next one, they gave it to Inter Milan and they relegated Juventus. They're still arguing about it. Juventus now are still trying to reclaim that title. Was there, a, was there a precedent with QPR on financial fair play? Yeah, there was. That was, that was around QPR um, breaking the rules on the way out of the championship, busting them by a mile, and um, almost kind of dodging, dodging the sort of sanction because they were then the Premier League's problem and the Premier League didn't, didn't, didn't worry. Yeah, they ended, up, they ended up settling that one, but it took years. It took four or five years. They, they did actually end up paying, paying a sort of very staged payment. But that's the thing, justice takes a long time and if, there's a big if here because as Sam has, exp has explained, Man City are, are adamant they've done nothing wrong, 
you know, they went they went into CAS, they went into UEFA feeling that as well, and they were ultimately vindicated, though it was very close. It was 2-1 in the end, and there were some serious questions to be asked around how UEFA fought that battle. You know, did they do, were they competent? We shall see. Um, if it goes badly for Man City, and you do start to get that retrospective justice, which we see in the Olympics, we see with things like doping cases, it's, there, there are principles, there are, there are precedents, sorry, in sport for this. It just is going to become a nightmare. So you mentioned the Champions League. There was one season where Man City beat Man United in on goal difference. I think it was, was it 2015, 2016, that year when Man City came fourth, United were fifth. Um, they've been umpteen times. I mean, they, were, they, were, they, were, they won six Premier League titles, right? I think it's three to United, three to Liverpool as runners-up. You know, how do you unpick this? I, I mean, oh, on. Oh, sorry, jump straight to the, the fans' perspective, because when you hear this stuff, are you not shaking in your boots that you could, you could lose all of those league titles and you could have your biggest rivals claim them from you and you may even be relegated? Uh, well, I'm old enough to know when City got relegated regularly anyway, so, you know, <laughs> that would be, you know, something that I'd be used to. But uh, no, to be honest, I mean, I'm a City fan. I've got to trust the club, fundamentally speaking. I mean, look around the room. You can tell everyone's pretty much decided that we're guilty. You know, no one's <laughs> saying it. But you can read the room. I'm not stupid. And people are throwing words like, in relation to this match fiction and doping around, which I, I would like to say in defence of City, the allegation here is that we spent a bit of money to essentially catch up before FPP came in. And if we spent a bit of money, if we found guilty, fair play, but it ain't match fixing. It isn't. So it's a very different level of allegation, I would say. So I just want to get that. It's not even close to that, is it? It isn't. Ultimately, <clears> it's I people on the pitch. How is it, how is it even close to that? Though? It it in the competition. Like it's, no, it's buying more players of some rules that were set up to keep City out of this in the first place. But everyone anyway, being Which is, we all know that. But anyway, if a City are found guilty and we have to play by the rules, so be it. If we well, are. Sorry, if Lance, not, Lance Armstrong spent money on doping. Isn't football if you just if you spend that money on buying taking. players? No, but it's fair. Spending your own money is. to taking drugs. It's totally different. Oh, no, financial doping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a word phrase you made up, but it's still the same thing. I remember when Arsenal used to say that financial doping and people would ridicule him. Once again, this is, and, this is and what I remember. I remember. I remember when, you're guilty already by but even right? I think about it, right? Even in those days, you were taking all our players. You took Colo Torre, you took Sammy Nasri, you take Clichy. You take all these players, right? And it's small margins in football. Like even when you got over the line by, a, a, you know, beat Liverpool by a point. If you're not playing by the rules fair... What if they are? Right? Well, if, if you are, you submit the papers, the emails... I'm and sure they will do. The thing is, for me, it's like... It's got strong vibes of fan, your girlfriend. Like, what if you see your phone and you're going, nope. <laughs> 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 nope. <laughs> show your phone. If you've got nothing to hide, hey, show your phone. Anybody else show the phone, <laughs> though? <laughs> We're all running a mile left. You're guilty, be it, so be it. But the point is, I'm making is everyone's already decided. They have decided. You can tell by the room. It's the optics. Like, it's, it's the optics. You haven't seen the paperwork, Robbie. You know, none of us have seen the paperwork. Robbie's in. Like, <laughs> fingers. Grinning like, ear to ear. The way I feel, honestly, genuinely, if it happens, so be it. I can admit, if it happens and we're guilty, then so be it. Because the extent of these allegations, as Matt and Sam were aligning, they are serious. They are. And this is. Yeah, the allegations are about nine years of accounts. This isn't going to end up with a slap on the wrist if it happens. I'm aware of that. It'll be, it'll be the highest sanctions or no sanctions at all. I'm aware of that as a City fan. And I can, I can honestly take that as it is. I'm 37 years old. I was saying, I've been watching City since the 90s. How, the would, you, idea how would you feel City, in terms of, so say you were guilty and then you'd accept, you say you'd accept your punishment, but, but you've seen great times, you've seen trophies won. Would that, would that era of what you're talking about here be massively tainted? How, how would you feel about that? No, and I don't mean that as a defensive way. It's just because I'm a football fan and football to me, 
and it's, I think I presume it's the same for everyone else. It's the memories and the, the moments that I experienced. And, you know, I still got to watch Kevin De Bruyne and Aguero do wonderful things. And those players individually, they weren't guilty of anything other than, if, look, if it happens, those players aren't guilty, if that makes sense. Like, I can't question their integrity as footballers and I can't question my integrity as a fan and all the other fans who enjoyed those moments. So if it happens, no, you won't change it. It'd be something that happened and we'd move on from. Um, Would you feel just, hoodwinked by, because we've, we've had these conversations over the years about how you talk about it's not on fans to be like financial experts or whatever, but yeah. would you, if, if, and it's a big if, but would you feel as though you should have looked under the hood a bit more and, and, and put a bit more scrutiny towards the ownership group? If Personally. How, yeah, well, not just, and in a broad sense, fans um, as well. No, not really. I don't think it's even remotely a fan's responsibility to, to be auditors or accountants. You know, we can only say the words to, of the chairman. Well, you're the owners of your football club, you know what I mean? That's yeah, I know, but ultimately, this still isn't, our issue directly to deal with that. We, I, I mean that sincerely. Like, I am not an accountant. I'm not a geopolitical expert. You know, I'm not an auditor. I don't understand the first thing about these things. I don't, and I mean that sincerely. And I think one thing that ties me with football, and maybe because I've been on the front line with this, is the city, and we've been looking to spend money, is that everyone these days is a financial expert in football. You have to be. Except part you. of supporting your team. <laughs> <laughs> part, part of supporting your team is also knowing your finance. And I, I, I am tired of that personally. And I, I am. I don't, I don't find it interesting, the, the money talk in football. I find it dull. And I'm where we benefited from the money side of it. But I wouldn't feel hoodwinked to anything like that. I'd obviously feel frustrated that the noise would carry on around it. And that's the worst thing for me as a fan. And like... I'm doing only what I guarantee you, every single one of you guys would do here, it was in the other way around. Hey, what I was defending you, my team. What would but. you feel like if it was United that had done it? Just oh, throw the bucket man. That's entirely the point. I'm just doing exactly what everyone else would do as a football yeah, fan. And, like, and ultimately, I think all you can do as a football fan is take what your chairman and the manager says in good faith and enjoy the football because we're there to watch football. I'm not there to argue politics. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I still... I've got, to, I've got to believe that what they say and what's coming out of the club is true until I have a reason not to, you know? Absolutely. And ultimately, I'm aware that everyone here can't stand City. <laughs> and ultimately, <laughs> even you two guys can't stand City. So ultimately, you want us to be guilty. And and that's, that's, I don't know, know what's giving you that idea. You I think you overplay that. I think you overplay that. I mean, for, there's massive respect from us. <laughs> as to, a fan, though, as a football No, fan. but there's been massive respect from us to City over the last seven or eight years in terms of what we've seen on the pitch. Okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah, as, 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 a, as a football inside, but you know. And no one hates City, really. You've heard from this. Let's no, go. I, I, City. I, I, well, City have hurt these clubs, you know, in terms of on the pitch. No, I mean, City. yeah, we're talk, talking, talking of on the pitch, this, you know, something like this, such a massive announcement, such a, a weight hanging over, a, you know, a cloud hanging over a club. Obviously, this is always. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Allegedly, they've not been found guilty yet. But that's got to seep into the dressing room, into, into the building. How, how will it affect, or will it affect, Pep and his players? Uh, to be honest with you, I feel like at City, one, they're determined that they've not done anything wrong. Two, I feel as though they don't like the idea of the established elite not liking what they're doing. I think that's how they feel at City, that the clubs like United, Liverpool, Arsenal, the sort of, if you like, historic, traditional big clubs, don't like this idea of the newcomer coming on the block and basically doing what they're doing. So there's an element of that. They may use it in their favour as a sort of siege mentality in the next few months. I mean, at the moment, I'm, I've been, I'm, obviously, I watched City on Sunday. I've been at the last few games. I'm, I'm a bit worried about what's happening inside there from a football perspective and how you're playing. Something isn't quite right. But if on the football, on the, on the financial side, I, I do have some sympathy. You know, if you look at what Jack Walker did in 1992, 93, 94, that, that was financial doping, but it's actually deemed to be something completely different because he was a local businessman yeah. who pumped money into his club. No, it's not. It's not. There was, the, the rules weren't there then, yeah. that's the whole point. The no, Chelsea no, no, thing, no, 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 there was no rules so, there. Jack Walker could do what he Kyle, wanted. Anybody, it's not uh, where you are from in the world or I, a local but I, look, It's the fact that there was rules there Mm. And at the moment, they're getting right. investigated. We're breaking them. City to stop City, though. I'm not saying that's defensive. The rules came in. No, no, no. I think to me, to me, FFP. I, so I don't like it. I'm not a fan of FFP. FFP for me means, in my opinion, that you will always have the same clubs at the very top because their revenues yeah. are higher, and you'll always have the lower clubs lower down because they can't compete with the revenue. So I'm not a fan of FFP. We have to allow, so, but we do need sustainability and cost controls in football. And this is, I think, one of the big decisions in the next 12 to 18 months of a regulator. But how, or, how are Chelsea doing? Or some, well, <laughs> Chelsea, I, to be honest with you, we'll come on to Chelsea in a bit. I mean, that's a bizarre situation, that. But they are, they are not breaking the rules, but it looks like they found a way to get round it through the amortisation of these contracts over a long period of time. But from City's point of view, you know, you have this idea of sustainability. And I did this in the book that I did recently. So Andy Holt, Accrington Stanley, his view of sustainability is that you spend the revenue that you make genuinely through the club, through sponsorship, match tickets and other fair means of revenue. That's, that's one way of sustainability. The other way of sustainability is that you spend more than the revenue that you bring in and you top it up with owner funding. That is the only other way of sustainability in football. So owner-funded models are regular. It's how much that owner-funding should be and, and should allow to be. Interrelated, interparty-related con uh, sponsorship contracts is another matter which has just been... I mean, I think you're not allowed to do them anymore because they've put them in place when Newcastle <coughs> came in. So we've got to find this solution in football that marries sustainability, which is either revenue versus owner-funding, but I still think there's this massive issue of you've got to allow a club to go from the fourth division, second division. This is not because of Salford, by the way, <laughs> before it comes out of his mouth. You know, we would never have been able to basically go up the league as a football club in a city like Salford if it was based on Andy Holt's method. We would always be stuck in step seven of English football. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it would be fair if Grimsby don't have an ambition one day to get into the Premier League or Barrow, if there was somebody in locally in Barrow as a business person wanted to come along and put money into the club. So we've got to find a way which is, in some ways, keeping control of spending, making sure clubs don't go bust like Berry, allowing an owner-funded model so that Chelsea, Blackburn, 
Manchester City can challenge the established elite because I think that's been healthy for our game in the last 20 years, but within some level of controls that mean it's acceptable. Because what I do, when I speak to Premier League owners, what they're really concerned about is this is not, they're not up against local businessmen anymore. They're up against states who've got trillions of pounds where money is not an object. So there does need to be some level of control. So that's not a view on City as to whether they're actually guilty or not. That'll work itself out in the next sort of, if you like, six months, six years, however long it takes. But football does need to sort this issue out because City will feel that they've got big brother in Manchester United, they've got Liverpool, they've got other massive clubs. We want to compete with them. The only way we can do that is through an owner-funded model or through putting more sponsorship funds through, obviously, their related parties that they've had. And I get a little bit... I, I understand that a little bit from City's point of view. Why would City always have to be 11th in the league and they can never challenge Manchester United? Why can Chelsea never challenge Manchester United or Arsenal or Liverpool? And I've argued with Manchester United directors about this. It's my club. Manchester United, if it was true sustainability, would probably win the league. I'm not saying 99 times out of 100 because it's sport, but their revenue is so high, genuinely, that they would have so much more money to spend on players that it would become very unfair on the rest. We'd never see Bournemouth, we'd never see Brighton, we'd never see Brentford if you didn't have owner funding in football. It's the level of owner funding that's required. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point, very interesting point, and I hope we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see Salford fly up the. Uh, <laughs> That's, I mean, you've, you've, made, you've made that point, Cara, where I think City, have, to be fair, when, when you're starting to present sponsorship revenues or commercial revenues that are higher than Manchester United, Real Madrid and Liverpool, I do think that's where people will start to think, hang on a minute, this is, but... That's impossible. That, that, that is impossible. I mean, I, I've, I've said this before, Manchester City can never be as big a club as Manchester United on a global scale when it comes to power. However, you have got greater revenues at this moment in time. That is something that is slightly unbelievable. And they're going to have to answer that, obviously. In a, you in accept a, that City's revenues would have gone up over the years. And oh, City are a very visible, very successful, high-ranking club these days. I know you don't want to admit a lot of people, but ultimately City are... I know we didn't win the Champions League, but we reached the final. We're minutes away from another. We've won multiple the last... Yeah, but you can't be... A, forget Man United, but, but you can't be above Real Madrid who won the Champions League. I, I, do, I don't actually times. know directly, but I guess it will come out in the wash anyway. I guess it will come out in the wash, but I think people do play down the level of growth that City have sustained over the past few years because the implication of the money, but City still have grown as a club. But it's, it's in such well. a short space of time when clubs like well, Real Madrid there's a lot of money in football. the top there's, of the tree a lot of money for, in football. for 20 years. Well. The, the owners and the executive do have to clear themselves here and they have <clears> to get that right because if they do get found guilty of these charges, it will be a real problem for them no, and it will, to be fair, in terms of their reputation, be really damaging. There's sometimes I, I do sometimes wonder if they've flown a little bit close to the sun sometimes, you know, and I do I do wonder if there's the spirit of the laws in the laws, you know, and they're, they're very different things. Because good lawyers will find, find loopholes, don't they? You know, they will do. And I don't know if City have done that or not, but there's an element that could be that, that could be the case, that they found loopholes, which would annoy people, but I would, City would argue that they've got a right to do to try and keep up with everyone else because the feeling among City fans is that the drawbridge was pulled up when FFP came in. Because there was enough, there was the big four, and it could get in, then all of a sudden City kept gone. That means everyone wasn't guaranteed Champions League anymore, you know, the big four, and that's how it always felt. And I, I do honestly feel there's an element of truth in that. Now, of course, we have to still play by the rules if they've come in. I don't know if we have, I presume and hope we have as a City fan, but the frustration does come from the constant manipulation. It's also, it's also really frustrating hearing you say all that when Spurs and Arsenal have behaved <laughs> in a way that's legitimate. And we've had to sit and watch City like sweep the board and bowl their players. And oh. Everyone thinks their club's squeaky clean. But I'm not saying. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you know what? It's a great point. We're going. We're going to. We're definitely going to come on to that. And it's a, it's a, it's a subject that I, I, I'm desperate <laughs> to hear to hear more about. But talking of spending money, seemingly endless pockets. Chelsea, Carrot. They they've spent an, an insane amount of money 
in, in one window, three, over 300 million, 323 million, in fact. Has it made them any better? Not yet. I mean, you look where they are in the league. And what we should say about Manchester City, just because you spend money is no guarantee of what you're going to do. So Manchester City have spent an awful lot of money, but have had great expertise in terms of people. Bagheera Stein's there, uh, obviously Pep Guardiola, different managers. And there's no guarantee, and even Manchester United, they're probably an example of that from, from the other side of it. You look at transfer spending oh, probably over the last 10 years, there's not too much difference between themselves and Man City. But with Chelsea, uh, I actually just think from Graham Potter's point of view, he must be thinking, what is going on here? It, it, you can dress it up like he might be delighted with a big squad and all these great players coming in. But, but I think he'd be worried for his job. And I, I've got, I go back to what Gary said before, I've got no problem with different teams getting involved. I think it's sad when clubs here, even like a Tottenham who are classed as the top six, Everton, Aston Villa, West Ham, who've had great success in the past, the only way they feel like they can get back up there is spending big money. Now, if Todd Bowley and Chelsea have found a way around the rules in terms of not breaking them, and what you're talking about, putting players on eight, eight, nine years contracts, I'll say, good luck to them. If they've found a way to beat the system in terms of they can go out and spend this money, they haven't broke any FFP rules, I'd say, well, OK, maybe he's ahead of the game. But I just think there's that many smart people within football. I can't believe it just takes Todd Bowley, who's just come into the English game, what, six months, and all of a sudden he's found a way that no-one else has ever thought of. And I just think what's down the road, and I don't mean in terms of FFP, I mean... How do you, putting players on eight-year contracts after four years or two years, if they don't do very well, how do you get rid of them? Mm. And then people say, oh, but we've got them on eight-year deals. But if they do really well, they'll look at where the market is and go, well, I should be on more money. So I want to sign another contract. I'm not happy on whatever it is, 100 grand a week, 150 grand a week, when the best players in the world are in 300. So I want another four years on top of that. And I just don't know where it ends in terms of actually moving players on. I always remember there was a player at Chelsea a long time ago I think it was Winston Bogart, they just couldn't get rid of him. He was just there for years, just taking money, wasn't even training. And I look at the amount of players that they've got, and I just don't know how it sort of moves forward in terms of working and at some stage not coming a cropper financially. Simon, where are you? Let's get the Chelsea fans' perspective on this because it, you must have been so excited having a, a, what, two windows since Todd Bowley's come in, 508 million. Are you still excited? Do you still think that there's, there's hope? Or is it just a bit blasé now? We're just, we're, we're just buying anyone and everyone. No, I'm absolutely buzzing. Absolutely <laughs> buzzing. I mean, we're signing, we're signing world-class players. And, and I hear the, the scattergun thing and all of this, but if you look at the players we're signing, they're all young. Yes, they're going on long contracts. But these long contracts are all done for FFP. And then the money you put down for Enzo Fernandez, for example... You're only putting down 40 million to start with. The rest of that goes over the next five to six years. So we're not spending 300 million straight away this year. Like they're, they're, they're on top of the FFP and I've got complete trust in them that they know what they're doing with that. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah I mean, maybe, maybe two, two, three years time, I'll be in the same situation, situation as this guy here. But yeah, but I mean, I, I think that they've done their research. They're, they're bringing in a recruitment team. Um, they've got five or six experts that they brought in to, to scout the players that they to want. Check to, to end up in Twitter spaces and copy Arsenal's transfer targets. Yeah, Todd Bowley's all over Twitter. But the Chelsea fans love that. They love that about him. He listens to the fans. He's, he, he's a subscriber to my site. He comes and reads my, my articles. And he listens to the fans and he listens to what we say and what we want. And I think that's something completely different than, than Roman ever had at Chelsea. But... I mean, in terms of, of the signings, yeah, you can see, you know, the, what, what Kara said about the, 
the long-term contracts is it's a good point and and there might be you, you might see that down the line you know <coughs> we have to revisit that but what you have to remember about the long-term contracts is that the base fee is that there's room for them to get bonuses and performance bonuses on top so their base fee could go up quite a lot if we get you know champions league qualification win the premier league and it gives the, the players an extra motivation to uh, you know, if, yeah, you know, you know, if, you, if you boys, if you boys been signed on an eight-year contract, what what kind of level of motivation do you have? No, to, I, to I, renew? no I signed a seven-year deal at United, but the, that's very different. I was never going to leave. Didn't want to leave. It, it would be renegotiated because I trusted the club if I obviously performed. This, these are very different types of contracts. I don't think it's a motivation thing. Uh, I wouldn't be worried about that. I signed long-term contracts, a six-year one, a seven-year one. But you had an affinity to the yeah, club. Yeah, so I, don't, I, think, I think that's slightly different. I, <coughs> are, you, are you worried slightly? Is, is there something in the back of your mind thinking, that's not, this isn't right? I know you're excited by the fact that your club has spent money, but is there something in your back of your mind saying, is this right? Is, the, is that there? The way I look at it is, in 2003, Roman did exactly the same thing. He wanted to rebuild the squad straight away. 20 years later... Fees have inflated and, and that's where we're at. I think it's just where we're at. I, I don't think any football player is worth £100 million. And someone might say to me, you know, Enzo Fernandez, is he worth that money? He didn't even start the first game of the World Cup. Yeah, but, but ask me that in a year and then I'll tell you, is he worth the money? But I mean, personally, I don't think any player is worth that. But Enzo is, is the, the priority player and position and profile that we needed. So you've got to spend that money. Look at the price being quoted for Jude Bellingham next summer, £150 million. Like midfielders of that quality, world-class midfielders, are not available for anything less than 100 million. So Chelsea have got to spend that money. For you know when you say, squad. you know when you say, well, I'm, I'm trying to work out the financials aspect, and I, and I totally get what you're saying. And we probably people in this room forget it being football. You know, paying things off yearly or monthly, whatever it may, you know, a mortgage. But it's almost talking as if like this is Chelsea's squad now. It's it's done. We we built this squad, and that's it. And we're going to pay, you know, 10% of the fees each year for all these 10, 12 players we bought. But we all know these players are on eight years deals. At Chelsea, there'll probably be three different managers then, maybe four. He won't like some of them. He'll want his own players. he want to play a different system. So when you're saying, oh, yeah, but we're playing Enzo Fernandez 10 million a year for the next eight years or 12 million. But in those next two or three years, you're going to be buying other players. So that fee that you're paying for him and another 10 players, it's still a big chunk of money. And then you're still going to be buying and selling and bringing new managers in. So it's not a case of like, OK, this is spread over 10 years. I've just got, you know, we want out me mortgage. There's different players coming in left, right and centre. There's going to be different managers as well. I, I think at the start of the season, when I, we did the first show we did of this, I said that it just smacked to me of... Uh, Todd Bowley reminded me of Ed Woodward when he first took over and he said, I'm going back off that tour to sign players. Do you remember when he said, mm. I'm going to sign Fabregas and Bale and I can't remember who else he named at the time. It just felt a little bit like that in the summer and it was chaotic. My worry is now it actually isn't chaotic. It's actually, it actually is a strategy. It's what you do. Like, Cucurella's 64 million quid or Fernandez 105 million. Their position, that's a full-back. And that's a midfield player that's sitting at the base of a three. <clears throat> the ceiling on those types of players like Rodri, Fabinho, Casemiro, they're 50, 60 million pound positions. It's, these aren't players that are playing like the forward part of the pitch that's scoring 30 goals. So it's what they're paying for the positions that you're actually getting them for. It, they just seem strange transfers. I'm not saying that the players are not straight. Mm. The players are not good. The players could be really good. They could go on to be great. But the positions that you're buying those players in for the fees just seems madness to me yeah Cucurella I completely agree with I think in the summer it, the difference was Bowley came in with Clear Lake inexperienced running a football team yeah of course they've got the Dodgers 
but a football team inexperienced, and this is why they brought in the recruitment guys. And this summer, I think we've seen completely, uh, this January, I think we've seen a different, different um, level of recruitment for players. And Enzo, go back to Enzo, player we needed. Mudrick, you, you still position didn't buy a striker. we needed. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, there is that, but uh, that's. You say you say you say on loan. You say you needed um, Mudrick. Yeah. Well, you, you forget you signed Raheem Sterling. Yeah. That's his yeah, position. Yeah, yeah. Just... But the, sum, the summer recruitment, I question, and a lot of Chelsea fans have questioned. I mean, Koulibaly's not done good, but when he came in, you know, he's a world-class defender from Serie A. No one complained at the time. Raheem Sterling, no one complained at the time. Kukurella, questionable, uh, and a few others, but. I think what the, the difference we're seeing now is, is they're going to buy players in positions they need to buy in, I think, uh, and they're well, going to spend the money on it. It was only six months ago. How much could they have possibly learned? Like they didn't know how to run a club in the summer, and now January, the, wow, they're because experts. The, because <laughs> they, they've possible? employed they've employed five recruitment experts to. You know what? You know what? Yeah. United have gone through recruitment experts and this, that, and this person, and new scouts, and this and that, and for eight or nine years, you talk about you know. Um, them picking players that the fans like or listen to the fans. It felt like Ed Woodward was buying players that the fans liked, like Falcao yeah. and Di Maria and Lukaku and all these big names, get Ronaldo in, and it didn't work. You, often it's not the big names that, that win your titles and sure. you know, that stay there long term. Does that not worry you, surely, that you're just spending all this money and, well, you know, in the summer we didn't know anything about football, but we'll forget those signings. January, we're experts. That doesn't make sense, does it, surely? Well, it does because Todd Bowley was never the expert. The recruitment guys are the experts. You, you know, you, there's a host of them. They, they come from Brighton. They already know Graham Potter. Potter's the long-term project manager. The recruitment guys that come in, they know him. They know what he wants. Uh, and they're doing it together as a team rather than just Todd Bowley, mm. you know, going around saying... Do, 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 do you think, do you think, do you think Graham years? Potter's that heavily yeah. involved? And you, I know his recruitment people are there, but don't forget, recruiting for Brighton is completely yeah. different to recruiting for Chelsea. Completely yeah. different type of... Player profile of players. Don't as well yeah. sign quite a lot of like four or five million pound players. They sign like lows, don't they? And wait till yeah. one or two of them to actually make it. So it's, a, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely a, a different concept. So that's the end of part one. Join us for part two of the overlap live fan debate, as brought to you by Skybet, where we'll be discussing the relegation battle. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.